Our founding fathers in this country were really tired of European governments and European monarchs and European tyranny. But there was one little European country that they actually looked to as a model and an inspiration. And uh, as we shall see, there are many lessons for us in America today as we combat the deep state. Stay tuned and I'll tell you more. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Behind the Deep State. I am your host, Alex Newman, and this is going to be a special episode. Usually, it's just me blabbering. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest joining us. I am in studio at the New American Headquarters, and I'm very honored to have with me Peter Rykowski. Uh, He is, uh, in addition to being a research associate at the John Birch Society, editor of the JBS Bulletin, uh, extraordinary patriot who loves the Lord and loves our country, a highly capable homeschooler, he's also very blessed to be a Swiss citizen, in addition to being an American citizen. And I used to live in Switzerland. I I can't say enough good things about Switzerland. I, I absolutely love that country. And so did many of our founding fathers. And so Uh, Peter and I were talking earlier today, and there are so many things about Switzerland that inspired our founding fathers. And I think today, as Americans who are trying to preserve our freedom, who are trying to preserve our constitutional system of government, there are so many, even though Switzerland is going downhill like the United States is, there are so many lessons that we can learn from the Swiss today. Uh, Peter, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. And so uh, you are one of those incredibly fortunate individuals. There can't be more than a a handful in the world who are both American citizens and Swiss citizens. Uh, Before we get into kind of the lessons that our founding fathers learned and the lessons for us today as Americans from Switzerland, uh, give a little bit of your background. I mean, you know, what what are are your ties to Switzerland? Did you go there? What's the deal? Yeah, yeah, my mom is originally from Switzerland. She was born and raised there, lived much of her life there. And so so she is Swiss. And then she eventually went to the United States originally for her education. Uh, she wanted to go to a uh, very uh, good, uh, even uh, divinity school here. And But then she met my dad and they got married. And, you know, that's how I came about. And... <laughs> And because of that, I have, um, you know, I'm also a Swiss citizen, and I'm able to, you know, participate in the elections there, the referendums. I have a lot of family there. I, I like to go to Switzerland to see the family, to see the beautiful scenery there. I try to go every one or two years, so it's, you know, it's, it, so it really is a blessing to be Swiss and to have that you know, to have that opportunity. Yep. Uh, and there are almost no other countries that I can think of where I would say it's really a blessing to be from that country. I mean, there, there are some countries that are obviously better than others, but Switzerland is just kind of in a league on its own. So many of the greatest things about America, actually, uh, our founding fathers got those ideas from the Swiss and from studying their system. Um, and, and the Swiss, in some ways, have been able to retain those traditions even better than Americans have, which I, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe just because uh, Switzerland is so much smaller than the United States. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, for the folks out there who aren't familiar with Switzerland, it's not Sweden. Sweden and Switzerland almost could not be more different, except for having a a name that starts with SW. But uh, Switzerland is a a loose confederation. So, you know, like in America, we have our states, they have their cantons. Uh, Peter, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the founding fathers and and what they learned from the Swiss confederation when they were trying to set up really a a new form of government here in in what were the colonies and eventually became the United States. Yeah, yeah. So as you mentioned, the founding fathers, they highly admired Switzerland. They looked at it. You know, as a real inspiration, and you know, it was because Switzerland was so different from almost all the other governments in Europe at the time. You know, Switzerland was not a monarchy; it was not some centralized uh, state. 
you know, controlled by, you know, a monarch or, or some despot, but it, it was a republic, and it was not only a republic, but a decentralized republic where the vast majority of powers resided by the cantons, which, which were the equivalent of states in the United States. And not only that, but Switzerland was a neutral country, completely uninvolved in foreign entanglements. It was an armed country where the citizens were expected to uh, defend their country, defend their freedoms, which they had uh, won, you know, you know it, was, it was not an easy fight to originally win those freedoms. And also they had sound money and, uh, you know, they, they, didn't, they did not rely on fiat currency. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, really good reasons for the Founding Fathers to very highly admire Switzerland. Yep. Uh, and, and I admire Switzerland to this day. Uh, there, there's just so many good things about it. Uh, you mentioned some of them. And, you know, when you talk about the cantons kind of being the equivalent of our states, in some ways, the, the cantons there even retain more power than our states do. Uh, you know, I remember I, I used to live in Zurich, in Canton Zurich, in a little town called Horgen, one of the most beautiful places in the world, I think, right on the shores of Lake Zurich. And... Um, you know, whenever we had an immigration issue, we were always dealing with Canton Zurich. It, was, it wasn't like you're talking to the Confederation government. You're, you're talking to your Canton. So the Canton is making the decisions about, you know, who can come there. The Canton is making decisions about policing and, and the laws that govern your, if, if not your Canton, then your local community. And I remember, you know, people would, would go into the town square every once in a while, and they'd have, like, just the, the truest form of community participation. Like, all right, all in favor, say aye. All against it, you know. It was just, it was so cute to watch it. It was almost like a, a fairy tale, and yet it was real. And you mentioned the, the armed neutrality. T to this day, you know, when, when a Swiss man turns 18, the government gives you a fully automatic machine gun, um, unless you're, you know, crazy or a criminal or, or have some religious objection, and you're expected to learn how to use it. You've got to qualify. Uh, it's totally normal. Uh, and, and I was blown away by this as an American. I, I remember, you know, being on trains or you're in the grocery store and guys are just walking by in, you know, sweatpants carrying a fully automatic machine gun. Right? In America, you'd have 10 people calling the cops. You'd have a SWAT team rolling up. Uh, and in Switzerland, people are like, oh, okay. You know, no, nobody even pays attention to it. It's just because everybody is armed. And it's not unusual to go into a Swiss home and you see, you know, fully automatic rifles up in the kitchen cabinet or in, in the closet in the bedroom. Um, now, uh, the Swiss managed to preserve that for a really long time. Um, you know, we were talking earlier before we started. Uh, they were, I think, the last major country to join the UN, uh, the, the last major country to abandon the gold standard. Why do you think uh, the Swiss were able to, uh, probably the last major country in the world today where everybody's required to have a fully automatic machine gun, uh, how did the Swiss preserve their freedoms and their traditions so much better than, than pretty much any other people in the world? Well, Switzerland, for the first several hundred years of its history, uh, was under constant attack from foreign powers. So Switzerland was originally ruled by the Austrian Habsburgs, so a uh, you know, very tyrannical monarchy, which uh, you know, very much tyrannized the Swiss people. Uh, but they won independence in a war for independence uh, back in the Middle Ages. And, but then for several hundred years afterwards, they were constantly under attack by the Habsburgs, by the French, by the Burgundians, several other European powers. And, you know, for the first several hundred years, the Swiss people, their independence was not secure. Uh, any power could come in and take control of them and uh, re, you know, restore or re-implement feudalism, uh, which the Swiss people had thrown off. And that gave the Swiss a very strong sense of independence and national sovereignty. Uh, the Swiss were very clear they did not want to be involved in 
any type of international agreement, even, even uh, the Holy Roman Empire, which was sort of a, a supranational um, you know, organization back then in the Middle Ages, they did not want anything to do with it. Uh, they wanted uh, to be able to run their own affairs without you know, some foreign power telling them what to do. Uh, so that strong sense of independence carried on you know, through uh, you know, the 17th century, 18th, 19th, all the way up almost to the present. And the Swiss people, uh, for that reason, they, they did not join the UN instantly like the United States did, like many other countries did. Uh, to this day, the Swiss are, are not members of the European Union. They're not members of NATO. Uh, so because of Switzerland's history, there's a very strong sense of national independence and, reserve, and, and preserving uh, the freedoms because the Swiss people did not win those easily. And, you know, really it, it comes down to Switzerland's history. Yeah, it, it, and it's such an interesting and amazing history, and uh, it really has served them well, right? When when Adolf Hitler was looking for new lands to conquer and new places to invade, new people to enslave, he looked at Switzerland and thought, yeah, probably better leave them alone, right? There'll be a rifle behind every blade of grass, as the uh, emperor of Japan supposedly said about it in the United States. Uh, he knew very well that his forces would have been totally decimated by patriots who were well-armed and well-trained and had mountains to, to help them out. <laughs> um, so it, it's just, it's really an, an incredible story. Now, Switzerland also has this very interesting religious history, this really interesting religious diversity where, you know, for a long time in Europe, there was kind of this idea that, well, whatever the king is, that's what everybody else has to be. If the king is Catholic, then everybody has to be Catholic. If the king is Protestant, then y'all better be Protestant. And, and yet in Switzerland, it, that didn't necessarily take root. I mean, there were Catholic cantons and, and Protestant cantons, but the, the confederation never tried to impose its religious values on the people. And and I would say Switzerland is still one of the more religious of the European states. I mean, like the rest of the West, uh, religion is, of course, collapsing. But uh, in Switzerland, those traditions, those values have, have continued. Uh, talk a little bit about how Switzerland was a, a center for the Reformation, how they provided shelter to people uh, fleeing religious persecution, and how Catholics and Protestants were able to get along for so long without having to impose uh, their religion on each other. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the Reformation began in Switzerland in 1519, uh, just after it began in Germany with Martin Luther in 1517. And uh, you, in, in the German-speaking part of Switzerland, it was mainly led by uh, Zwingli, who was you know, one of the leading reformers even, even in, in all of Europe. Yeah. Uh, and he was uh, preaching very boldly in, in Zurich, in the Grossmünster. And uh, so there, there was a very strong presence of the Reformation there. And then also in, in Geneva, there was John Calvin uh, preaching there. Geneva at the time, was, was, it was not a canton, but it was an associated state of Switzerland. Uh, so there was a very strong Protestant uh, Reformation uh, activity in Switzerland. And in, in, in those cantons in the city of uh, Geneva and various locations in Switzerland, Protestants who were being persecuted elsewhere in Europe, they were able to go there uh, to avoid persecution, to be able to practice their faith freely in those cities and in those cantons. Uh, so Switzerland was a, a refuge uh, during that time, especially during the, uh, the Counter-Reformation period that came uh, shortly afterwards. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the Reformation era, era really shaped Switzerland's history, uh, you know, the freedoms that Switzerland has uh, for, for, for actually a few reasons. Uh, one is uh, the decentralization. So certain cantons, they decided to be uh, Protestant, certain cantons decided to uh, remain Catholic. Uh, 
so they disagreed with each other and it didn't it, it wasn't necessarily an easy process but they eventually agreed you know you know the cantons who are protestant will be protestant you know the cantons who are catholic will be catholic and we'll respect each other yeah. you know we're not going to go to war over this we will allow each person to decide uh, what to believe in and in fact there were there was one canton uh, Oppencell, which actually uh, there were there was an equal number of uh, Catholics and Protestants. They actually agreed. It, it was a, it was a friendly agreement. They agreed to split the canton into two parts: uh, one a Catholic part, and then a Protestant part, inner and up and in, inner and outer up and cell. So they uh, and because of that, so the 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 religious differences, and they agreed. Uh, you know, let's let's keep the, the the various policy matters at the canton level, not at some federal level. You know, we don't want a one-size-fits-all policy because if we try a one-size-fits-all policy, someone is going to be angry either way. So let's have it at the canton level, at the local level. And that way, Switzerland, you know, it was decentralized, but people were also happy. They were happy with the way that their local leaders were running things. They didn't have to worry about some federal or some overarching power telling everyone what to believe. So it really helped with Switzerland's... Uh, decentralization, but then also in, in in the sphere of foreign policy, it helped Switzerland become neutral, strengthened its neutrality. Uh, actually, before the 1500s, Switzerland it was constantly under attack by foreign powers, but then that led to Switzerland having an interventionist foreign policy, where they would go out and invade uh, other parts of Europe, especially uh, Milan, parts of Italy, uh, but then also elsewhere, a little bit in France, etc., uh, but then there were a few events in the 1500s that led Switzerland to become neutral. Uh, the Reformation was one of those key events uh, because elsewhere in Europe there were religious wars going on, Protestants versus Catholics, vice versa. Uh, they were fighting each other, and the Swiss cantons realized they cannot join into these wars without creating a civil war within Switzerland. So in order to keep Switzerland uh, stable, peaceful, you know, at peace, united, they decided we're going to stay out of these wars. We're going to uh, focus on our own affairs. We're not going to get entangled with what's going on elsewhere in Europe. Yeah, very wise policy, and of course, it served them very well. Uh, Switzerland became, uh, I, th- I think, the richest major country per capita anywhere on the planet. I mean, the Swiss people are just unfathomably wealthy because they've had the peace, they've had the stability, and of course, they've had the free market. And you, you talked about the the kind of weak power of the federal government. I, I still remember from from living there, you know, it wasn't unusual that the president would ride the train to work and then the president had a regular job and the members of parliament, you know, they'd be dentists or doctors or plumbers or whatever. They'd have regular jobs and the parliament would meet for a couple of weeks and, hey, do we need any laws? No, not really. Okay, well, let's go home. Um, and it just, it, it's a totally different attitude than, than people around the world, unfortunately, have toward government. And, and I believe that's one of the reasons why the Swiss have remained some of the most economically free people in the world. If you look at the, the Heritage Foundation's Index of Economic Freedom, uh, Switzerland has been in the top three for as long as I can remember. Uh, and, you know, Hong Kong used to be way up there. Now they're way down there because of communist China. So Switzerland is, you know, one of the most economically free places in the world. And, and I think that's partly because the, the 
federal or the confederation government was so weak. And, you know, tax policy is being decided at the Canton level. Uh, regulations are being decided at the Canton level. And so all these cantons are competing with each other for businesses and for, for labor, for capital, for uh, it just it, it has worked so, so well. And yet, uh, you know, there's a couple other angles here. I know it, it, there's just so many things we could talk about, but there's a couple angles that I want to hit here that are important. Uh, one is, you know, the U.S. government and the European Union have just been terrorizing, and I, I can't think of any other word to describe what they've been doing to Switzerland. And, you know, the Swiss are very nice, and they're very respectful people. They haven't lashed out like I think maybe they should have. But the EU has been bullying them. I, they even threatened them with, like, sanctions if they wouldn't automatically adopt EU laws without referendum. And stuff. It's been really vile. And the U.S. government has done that, too. Uh, during the Obama administration, they were just constantly haranguing the Swiss about their banking laws, about you know, their low taxes. They're accusing them of being a tax haven because their taxes weren't high enough. Uh, and unfortunately, the Swiss are starting to, little by little, succumb to this pressure. And I, mean, I, yeah, I can't blame them. It's, you're totally surrounded by this monster called the European Soviet, I mean, the European Union. Uh, you know, you're surrounded on all sides. And you don't have any ports. What do you do? Uh, but, but talk a little bit about how the deep state controlled governments around Switzerland, and very much including our own, unfortunately, have been terrorizing the Swiss and, and kind of bullying them into submission on these things. Yeah, yeah. There are several ways that this is happening. So as he mentioned, Switzerland's completely surrounded by the European Union. Uh, and the European Union, they they want Switzerland, well, they wanted Switzerland to actually fully become a member of the EU. Thankfully, the Swiss people rejected that twice. Uh, but the EU decided to try a different route. Instead of actually trying to get Switzerland to join, they would pressure Switzerland to adopt all the various EU rules and regulations without formally joining. So that includes the, uh, the Schengen area, which abolished borders, uh, so now we have uh, large levels of migration in Switzerland, uh, legal and illegal. Uh, and then with gun control, Switzerland, is, uh, well, the European Union has really been pressuring Switzerland to adopt uh, the very draconian uh, gun control laws that, uh, that it has. So Switzerland, they've, the government is beginning to be pressured, and the people as well, being pressured into going along with those gun control rules. And just a few years ago, there was actually a referendum to adopt uh, some of those rules, and unfortunately, it passed. Wow. Yeah, and there are, there are other areas as well. So, you know, immigration with quotas, uh, the EU is, there's been a lot of pressure uh, on, on Switzerland because of that. In 2014, there was a referendum that slightly rolled back some of those EU rules, but ever since then, the EU has been uh, very much pressuring Switzerland to um, not only reverse that, but to double down on mass migration. Uh, with the United States, the pressure has been really big in terms of the banking rules. Uh, Switzerland, you know, is very uh, has a very good reputation for banking secrecy. So, you know, governments, uh, etc., you know, traditionally would have no idea what 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 people in Switzerland have in terms of you know what assets they have, etc. The, the federal government. Our government, the United States government, wants Switzerland to essentially give that information out to the U.S., to other countries. And unfortunately, Switzerland has adopted a lot of what the United States has been demanding. Yeah. So uh, historically, Switzerland is a very free country, but it is under attack like every other country in the world. Yep. It's it's so sad. And I, I've, I've watched it happen. I've actually chronicled a lot of it at The New American as, as these 
terrible things have happened. I, I remember the, the Swiss voted against the mass migration. They said they didn't want any more migration, even from the EU. And, of course, the EU lost it. And how dare you not have open borders? Um, and I remember watching the transformation. I, I was there uh, during high school, and it, it was so safe. It, it was no question. Of course the kids can, can walk to the train station. Of course the kids can take the train to, to go ski. I mean, it, it wasn't even an issue. You could leave your bike uh, unlocked. I mean, you could leave your house unlocked. There was, like, no crime. Uh, and, and now, of course, things are, are very rapidly changing. Um, now, there's another question that's interesting, and I've been asked this many times before because I, I always say good things about Switzerland, but I've had people say, well, why is there so much deep state activity in Switzerland? Why is um, Klaus Schwabi and his World Economic Forum based in Davos in Switzerland? Uh, why are um, so many important UN organizations based in Switzerland? And I, I don't know that I have an answer. Uh, you know, I have my theories, but, but what are your thoughts? Why, why have so many global and, and there's plenty of big time deep state globalists who, who live in Switzerland. Uh, what's the deal with that? They're so free. They're, they're so opposed to all the crazy things the deep state's promoting, and yet they're such a central hub of deep state activity. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question, and there's actually a few different things I could say about that. I think ultimately it comes down to uh, a lack of education and a little bit of complacency. So Switzerland has been really blessed with the level of freedom that they've had, a, you know, citizenry who, you know, love their independence, their national sovereignty, uh, you know, all of that. But unfortunately, I think there's also been a sense of complacency in the sense of not being as, as steadfast in that love, in determination to defend their countries they could be. So Switzerland has been neutral. Uh, there have been, a, you know, it's a very uh, strong financial hub. I think that's attracted a lot of the globalists uh, to Switzerland, the UN, uh, you know, the people at Davos, etc. Uh, but then, how closely have the Swiss people been active in trying to, you know, for example, take out the UN headquarters from Switzerland, the headquarters of the other international organizations, uh, taking action against the World Economic Forum in the country? So I think there has been a sense of complacency, uh, which really illustrates uh, the need for, you know, education, and it, not in the sense of, um, you know, in, in the historical sense, but making sure that each generation uh, not only knows where they came from, you know, the values that are necessary to be free, uh, but also to be on the lookout for these various threats. Uh, so I think that, that, that a lot of that comes down to uh, simply being aware of what's going on and taking action against it. Yep. And, you know, on the subject of education, I, I was kind of young and dumb when I was there. But I remember the same things that I observed later in the United States with the indoctrination, with the not teaching kids their history, not teaching kids the, the heritage of their nation. I mean, the same thing was happening in Switzerland. Um, you know, the, the secular indoctrination, turning kids against the church, against uh, the, the faith of their forefathers. Um, you know, it's been happening there, and it's happening here. Uh, we're just about out of time, uh, Peter, but I do want to ask your thoughts on, you know, what are some lessons for Americans today. You know, our founding fathers were so inspired by Switzerland. What are some lessons today that Americans who want to expose and oppose the deep state, who want to preserve our, our free institutions in this country and, and our, our liberties, our constitution, what are some things that we could learn from the Swiss? Well, we need an educated electorate, you know, electorate who knows where we come from, you know, who knows uh, the values that create a, a, a free country and who are willing to stand up and defend 
those values. Uh, so that's very important. And Switzerland really has showed, uh, you know, what is needed to create a free country. Uh, Switzerland has had a decentralized government. Uh, they've had freedom of religion, uh, you know, coming from the Reformation. Uh, they've had armed neutrality. So they're not just neutral, but they're armed. Uh, so they're, they're willing and able to defend themselves. Uh, they've had the gold standard until very recently, so a sound currency. And all those uh, you know, aspects of the country, at least historically, uh, can be applied you know, for restoring our country and for you know, just as a good roadmap for how to have a, you know, a free uh, citizenry. So it's, you know, so it's a really good example to follow. And it really shows how important it is for an electorate uh, that understands uh, what's going on, understands the threats to freedom, and an, and an electorate that's willing to take action to uh, stop those threats. Well, Peter, uh, fascinating. I couldn't agree with you more. Danke vielmals, as the, uh, the Swiss Germans would say. Um, thank you very much. It's just um, it's such a fun talk, and it's a little bit different than what we usually do. But... Um, you know, as far as Switzerland has fallen, as far as our country has fallen here in the United States, you know, we, we have a roadmap back. Uh, our, our forefathers did this, and we can do it again. But as Peter explained, you know, it's going to take education. We, we need uh, young people who understand the principles that made our countries great, that made our societies great, the principles that led to peace and economic prosperity and individual liberty. And, um, you know, we, it, it's critical that we learn these lessons and we go back to those principles that worked and that we avoid the principles that unfortunately have led to so much horror, so much tragedy all around the world that unfortunately are now uh, popping up in our country and in Switzerland and everywhere else. I'm Alex Newman. I want to thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Behind the Deep State. God willing, we shall be with you again next week. Until then, go to thenewamerican.com, subscribe to the print magazine, get subscribed to the daily headlines. It's free if you're not signed up yet. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. Share this video out. If you know somebody in Switzerland, if you know somebody in Kansas, send them this video. A lot for all of us to learn. And you, know, you don't have to be an American or a Swiss to recognize the value of these principles. Thanks again for watching. Until next time, God bless you all. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. The truth is hard to find, but the New American has it. Check it out at thenewamerican.com.